when do you start doing music in your house? Were you like little? Did your dad do it? Let's start right from there. And you can just kind of roll with it. For me personally, for me personally, I started, I mean, I only used to sing as for fun around the streets in my neighborhood. Okay. And then I actually did a musical, Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. That one. (laughs) Where I was Joseph. But the funny thing was, I could sing my part and my school friend who played the pharaoh couldn't sing the part. So we had like the first mime. I was about eight, to eight nine years old. So it'd be year five for you, grade fifth grade for you guys, yeah. yeah. And he couldn't sing his part, so I had to face him, and he had to mouth his lines while I sang his lines. That's, that's funny. What is, what is your what is your vocal range? I mean, you've got a really nice voice. Um, it's uh, at least three and a four, three and a half octaves. So right. yeah, it's not bad. It's I don't really know. Like, no, but like, there's, a, there's a texture to it. I mean, thank you. Because you know, you know what I'm talking about too. Because I was listening to your, uh, your albums too. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I don't get hit myself because of the story. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. So it started in, and then when I met uh, Junior in the summer of '79, uh, mm-hmm. he, him and Patrick, we used to play football and go to. We used to go to what we call um, the school in the summer holidays to play football. And he told me about the band. And we became really close playing football. And then I went to the first rehearsal for Musical Youth and I actually got banned from the the rehearsal the very first day. But we remained friends. And he encouraged me to keep singing. Junior did. And then... Was it it because they heard you sing? How did you band? Yeah, yeah, he'd heard me sing. He, he knew I had a little voice, but I hadn't, I wasn't musically trained. I didn't have any musicality in me. Well, I say musicality. I had the musicality, but I wasn't I know you're talking. I, know you're talking. I wasn't taught. And then I joined, uh, to get that skill up, I joined the, the, the orchestra and I played cello. I don't know why. I've heard it a lot, but a lot of musicians actually, they play cello or violin. Yeah, played cello. And I used to have to walk with this cello three miles to get to school. <laughs> three miles. <laughs> you know, I'm an inner city boy from from Birmingham and you know the cello was like huh anyway so we were listening to reggae music so that was our love reggae music and he told me about his dad you know teaching Calvin and Michael to play guitar and drum and bass uh, guitar and keyboard and then him and Patrick bass and drum I said wow do you think there's, he said, he actually said to me, there might be room for you to be the singer. I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, come along. So his dad really, really had a go at me. You know, I said, what can you do? <laughs> and I was rubbish. I was just rubbish. I didn't know. No musical training. And yeah, he, didn't but, have yeah. much, he didn't have much patience. So when he banned me, it was like, okay. So every day I'd go to the rehearsal, all through the summer holiday, I'd go to rehearsals, but I'd sit outside and wait for them to finish rehearsals. And then ah, patience. We'd hang out. And it was only until after um, they'd recorded for the late, great John Peel. He was running. Oh, he was the great. Yeah, John yeah, Peel yeah, was yeah, the yeah. man in the, in the 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s. John Peel Anything was. Anything that has his name on it is the best. Right, exactly. So you can imagine, you would, you, oh. you know, most of the 80s artists would, would, would point to John Peel and say, he's the, one of the reasons why we got played on the radio because yeah. he knows who we played. And all the a r guys from the record companies were just lazy because all they'd do is just sit and listen to John Peel. <laughs> yeah, <nobody else. laughs> and um, 
it was when the rec when the record company Charlie A was leaving A and R Records to go to MCA at the time, which is now Universal, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he he got in touch and said, "Look, I want to hear more." And then when he saw Fred the singing lead, he asked them. He asked the he asked the manager, just Tony Owens, if they could find somebody more of the age of the within the age of the band. So <laughs> I, like, I got. I got the inside scoop on we're going to have an audition because we went to the music teacher and said, look, can we do an audition for singers? And he says, yeah. But nobody turned up. Only I turned up, obviously. Uh-huh. If, it was, if, it was, if it was to do with shares and share prices, I would have been done for insider dealing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. That's funny. So, what what so, are the ages of you guys? We watched the video. You guys are all different. Time, right. So I look really tall, don't I? You do, but okay. puberty hits differently, though. Puberty is yeah. unforgiving and relentless. Yeah. And, um, Calvin, 11. Michael, 13. Patrick, 14. Junior, 15. And myself, 15. And we'd already been playing for two years before that. So um, Calvin started at eight. The guitar was bigger than him. It was huge. Sorry? It, no, sorry. It was huge on him. I always yeah. want to hear him like he's really seems like he's down in the his guitar playing is low in the mix out on a lot of it. No, I, I think, think the, well, the band overtakes it. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, his guitar that's reggae for you. Okay. That's just reggae for you. It's just the, the guitar and the keyboard play together. So you have two units you have the guitar and drums, bass and drum. They're the rhythm section and the they're the bass and drum, and then the rhythm section, the guitar and keyboard. Okay. But the guitar and keyboard are coming down together. So the left hand, it, it, so you you, you kind of don't hear it until he does a uh, an inflection. Well, here that makes sense now because I'm thinking it's kind of in the mix together. It's not yeah. jumping out more. So yeah. that's because that's what it is. Yeah, it's not about his playing. It's about like it's just the mix. Of, of it's the just mix. the way it is for yeah. reggae. Um, okay. It comes down with the if you've got piano, it comes down with the piano. So ching, 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 and that's what that's what it sounds like. And because the frequencies are more or less the same. You kind of can miss it, but you, those regular aficionados will tell you, no, it's right. It's right. So we go from there to do a, a showcase at uh, the General Wolf in Coventry. Now, General Wolf is famous for launching the careers of the specials, Selector, you know, for, for Two Tone. And uh, oh, nice. we went from there to do um, recordings with, we actually started when we signed to MCA. We actually started uh, recording with uh, Fun Boy Three, which was Jerry, T- Terry, Linval, and Neville from the Specials were trying to produce the tracks, but it never really worked out. So then wow. we were doing some shows. We, we we were doing live. We were still playing live, and nobody yeah. really took any notice. The school never took any notice, uh, <laughs> and then we went to do. The great, well, we call him the great Don Letts, but Don Letts was was running shows at upstairs at Ronnie's, Ronnie Scott's in London, which Ronnie Scott's is a famous jazz club, it's still going. And he was putting on events upstairs. So we ended up doing some shows up there with myself and Fred singing lead. And Boy George came. We didn't know him as Boy George, we just saw this guy and thought it was a girl. And uh, he, he, in, he invited us to come and play support with Culture Club because Culture Club was signed but Virgin didn't 
couldn't, didn't know what to do with them. So we did this support gig with Culture Club. And when we did the support gig, we used to play all the number one reggae songs of the time. And Pastor yeah. Kutchi was the number one reggae song in 1981. And when we sang past the Dutch Kuchi, it was about. What is Kuchi? Can you figure out for a lot of us here in America? In <laughs> right, let me explain a Kuchi. Kuchi pipe. Thank is you. What the Rastaf- <laughs> <laughs> Kuchi pipe is what the Rastafarians put the, the weed in them. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's what, it, that's what a Kuchi is. I so, heard it. Wasn't sure if it was true because you hear all these different <laughs> versions. I've heard so many. I can't imagine how many versions you've heard of this. <laughs> well, you know? I want to get right from, right from you. Let, so I heard, and when I heard this, I, I, I fell over laughing. When we, when we released past the Dutchie, the American audience thought we were singing about cooking. When we said it was a cooking pot, they thought we were actually cooking pot. <laughs> oh, see, I, I, yeah, well, the kids at the time knew. They were saying it, but I know how true it was. You know, there's no internet. Say, no, it's, not weed. it's not drugs, yeah. man. I'm like, it can't no. be a, a drugs. It's a huge, it's sure. a huge song. Sure. Come on, Sean. If... <laughs> If can you imagine eleven to fifteen year olds singing about drugs? The eighties, in the early eighties, that was that's insane. I, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like it, it was just I can't even fathom it. The it's logic, huge. the logic, think the logic. <laughs> you know, I mean, we haven't we have we haven't got to the rap songs yet. Remember, no. we haven't got to banning all the rap songs. So, can you imagine we're singing about cooking? cooking weed <laughs> and you don't cook so weed funny. you boil it <laughs> well people don't i don't know but the parents don't know they're so those are so innocence you know so, <laughs> yeah i know so, so I, just, I just i just the, the double meaning uh, they call it a double entendre don't yep. anyway so um the a&r guy said look because there was about it's the biggest um gay and lesbian club uh in london that we played at and it was three that was sold out three thousand people there and when we sang past the dutchy kutchy they went absolutely nuts so he said to us look is there any way you could change the lyric of that song because the reaction you got was just so good and when we went to do the demo of the album mm-hmm. we recorded eight songs two of them were past the kutchy and past dutchy it was literally we listened to it and went, right. So we went in the control room. What can we change it to? So we said, well, Kutchy, Dutchy, Dutch pot, right. So Dutch pot is what it was. So we went back and sang, how does it feel when you got, instead of singing, how does it feel when you got no herb? Yeah. How does it feel when you got no food? So that should have been the first thing they should have noticed, but nobody did. And they just carried it, you know. So good. Like the biggest, then, biggest uh, scam ever. Like over, <laughs> over there, you know what I mean? It's like it's, it's like a, a PT Barnum thing. <laughs> sure, it's totally organic. Oh, it I, wasn't. I, something, it wasn't something cooked up by the record company because the record company, if they would have known, do you think they would have oh, taken that risk? I don't think so. Oh, they still wouldn't. Oh, no, it's so good. It's so good though. <laughs> so then, when we released the song here in the yeah. UK, we. Record. We nearly never recorded it first and foremost, because the first recording we started to do, we wanted to record it at our studio here where we used to rehearse, and the producer at the time was P- Peter Collins, and Peter Collins went on to produce Yes and some big rock bands. Anyway, he he said he was just for two days that we tried to record this song, 
Heath had nothing but problems with the studio, this, that. And he went back to the A&R guy and said, I don't think the guys can play. And then we were like, what? So we were angry. And what they had to do was put us with him for two, for two days. So we went to London, spent the day with him talking and playing on the Hyde Park, playing on the, 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 the lake in Hyde Park on the boats. Yeah. Then we went to record, so everybody's relaxed. He's got his, Instead of him saying, look, I don't want to use this studio, he decided, you know, and that's a studio, that's a producer's, you know, way. Yeah. And uh, we went in, and he tried to get us to record it. How you hear the single and see the video is not how we recorded the song. <laughs> okay. So he tried to get us to record it how you hear it, but we never recorded it that way. We recorded the full, I don't know if you remember, 12-inch versions. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we well, when you hear the twelve inch of past the Dutchy, that is how we as the band recorded it because we weren't experienced enough as musicians to know what he wanted. So he just he just put the click down. Junior played to the click, so he said, "Anywhere I splice this, it's going to be in time." So you got to imagine there's a fifteen year old there playing to a click, and then his brother's fourteen, and then we're all we all play and we played it straight down and then when he when he put it together he spliced it together yeah he got wix wickings in i don't know if you know well if you know wix wix wickings plays with paul mccartney he's paul mccartney's keyboard yeah. player he played the congos and the little riffs and then went away spliced it together i actually watched them splice if you think about um cut and paste now with cut and paste now if you make a mistake you can go back and put it back in but if you're cutting physical quarter-inch tape and you make a mistake, you can't go back. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I went to school for, for recording in the uh, early early 90s, early uh, late 80s. Uh-huh. I, was spli- I learned how to splice. I'm you learned how to splice. With, with, with a razor blade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It cuts razor blade and tape. Oh, yeah. Straight across at an angle. That's right. Quarter-inch yeah. tape. And you put it down and you roll it back and you cut it. And you really... But if you get it wrong, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. I know. It's, a, it's, a, it's an art. Oh yeah, so it was a I special class it. just for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I stood there and watched Peter Collins. Peter, Peter, Peter. Oh, we had so many Peters. We had Peter Price, head of uh, mar- uh, marketing for a- a- MCA. Peter Collins was the producer, and Peter Waterman from Stockade and Waterman, and Pete Hammond. He's a mix master. He did a lot wow. of stuff with um, PWL in the nineties. Uh, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, stood there watching him. And then, as they say, the rest is history. So when the band, when the record company released the single, we'd gone to a, uh, one of their retreats, what they have, their marketing retreats, and they said to us, well, we don't expect the single to the track to go more than number 80-something. Well, it entered the British charts at number 26, <laughs> which is a phenomenon in itself. And then it took everybody by surprise because at number two was Zoom by Fat Larry's band. And uh, it went straight to number one, went, went from number 26 to number number one, which everybody, I mean, we were recording, the, we'd started recording the first album at the time. So we'd been in the studio for a week already. And uh, when we got the call in the morning, little did we know the record companies already knew. 
And they told us, they told us, we, we read the paper on the way to the studio because we were in a taxi and we were saying, look, we're number seven, which isn't bad. That's really good. I mean, when we released the single, we decided not to tell anybody in the school because we didn't want to embarrass ourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> but funny enough, we left the school on the Tuesday because they used to, in this country, they used to release the charts on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We left school ch- that Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, the single had gone to number 26, but we'd already gone. And uh, when it went to number one, then oh, it was just, you know, the first time we took a flight was that week. Nobody said to us, are you scared of flying? They just put us on this plane and flew us up 500 miles up to Newcastle in the northeast to go, do, to go and do a, a TV Come show. Come on, you guys are all young boys. You guys are fearless. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> number one song, 15 years old. <laughs> the world, man. We, 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 uh, we weren't coached into doing interviews. They never coached us. They just put us in front of a camera and said, talk, answer the questions. <laughs> I don't know how we, to be fair, we, we took it, we all took it in our stride because it wasn't something that we planned for. We hadn't planned to have a number one. We didn't say we want to have a number one. We just wanted to do the best we could do for ourselves. You know, as a band, we wanted to be the best band in the world. And at one point, you know, we were for a few years there because there was nobody that was equal to us or parallel to us. So, yeah. It's insane. So now you guys signed to do like an album, like a yeah. album deal or like a full album or like when you say record, like, you know, 12 inch, is it? Well, no. Cassettes of the day. We signed, I mean, we couldn't sign, the, we couldn't sign our uh, contracts because we were minors. So our parents had to sign our contracts. The lawyers had to look at it, but our parents had to sign or can to sign because we were too young to sign these contracts. And um, anybody have to con their parents into it? Be like, come on. They're like, I don't know. No, I don't want you doing this. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a case of we don't want the boys to do it. As I said, the school knew nothing about what was going on until the band suddenly went to number one and all hell <laughs> And they've got all press coming down to the school and they're trying to work out what do we do? Because no, it was unprecedented. Like I say, Sean, it was, it was totally organic. And that's, that's the beauty of it. You'll never see the like of it again yeah. um, because nobody expected it. it was just lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And you, you then, you're then on the back foot trying to deal with it. And um, the beauty is that uh, even when we were released by MCA, two and a half years later how many albums we'd done two albums okay. uh, because that was the time when you had to do an album a year it yep. wasn't the case of wait three years and then you can do the next one because if you everybody knows this anybody in the industry will tell you the first album you release is a life's work everything after that is from the back of that so 12 months on we've got an American label that's got a successful artist, worldwide artist, that they don't know how to market. So they've got the artist, which will sell. But you've got to take, put a couple of factors in here. They're all minors. We could only work 42 days a year legally. Plus, um, it was worldwide success. So Japan, Australia, Europe, Africa, West Caribbean, East Coast, West Coast. And if you remember at the time, you might have a hit on the East Coast. 
but you might not be successful on the West Coast. Case in point, example, Luther Vandross was successful on the East Coast, but took him a long time to to get up on the West Coast, which we didn't know. We're totally oblivious to this because now the other factor we've got to throw in there is the genre of music. It's not soul. It's not pop. It's reggae. So now you've lost the biggest selling artist, which is Bob Marley. And we're not Bob Marley because we're not from the Caribbean, but we're playing reggae music. And for us to be played on, first and foremost, be played on MTV in the early 80s as a black artist was the big thing. But we didn't know nothing about it. We're totally oblivious to this. So this is where I find out from Peter Waterman, it was Tom Petty who approached MCA and MTV and said, look, you gotta play, you got to see these guys and they're, oh. they're, 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 they're good. And M- that's, that's the best. Yeah, I know. I only found that out two years ago myself. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, wow, okay. So you, another artist is pulling in your favor. You, you know, who knows how many other things he's done like that to people? You know what I mean? Just, well, to be fair, I do see with a lot with American artists more than the UK artists. For as an example, again, um, I mean, who who knew that David Bowie would launch the career of Luther Vandross? I never knew that. <laughs> I never knew that. So you look at it and go, "Wow, okay." I think because the, the American rock industry, I'm sorry, the American rock industry bands are more helpful. Yes, classic Rocky. Not, I'm not going to say like all the genres are very good, but there's a, no. there is in the rock industry a, a, a very openness to everybody. There's no you know, there's the racism, the religion. It's just, well, just you know. Let's put, let's, put it, let's put it this way, Sean. In America, you think about it. In the eighties, they they see they or even now, you know, they see musicians music a musician as a career. In this country, it's not the same. For me, in the eighties, it was like, okay, so you play music. What else do you do? <laughs> <laughs> what else do you do? And you're like, okay, like. It's not all consuming anyway. It's the arts. So people don't see it that way. It's not what you're doing now. It's how you portray. Anyway, so when we came, we went to Jamaica to film the video, two videos and a documentary. And we flew to New York and went on MTV. Little did we know that MTV didn't have black artists coming in to do interviews. We didn't know this. So we ended up finding out that we were the first black artists to do an interview on MTV. So not only that we we did MTV, we then did Saturday Night Live with Joan Rivers. And when we did Saturday Night Live, it was Joan Rivers, Eddie Murphy and Buckwheat. We didn't get ah. to meet. So, um, but Joan was absolutely beautiful, wonderful to us. We didn't have any problems because it, it, it takes you off guard, doesn't it? You, you you see these young kids and you're thinking, how can you be nasty to kids? You can't be rude to kids. <laughs> yeah. So you guys anyway, look like a lot of fun though. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, always. We always had fun. I mean, we went from Jamaica to New York. It was like 30, 35, 40 degrees to minus eight. My yeah. gosh. That was our, that was our first uh, trip to New York, but it was a blast. You know, that's why New York became my favorite city in the world. Did, um, when you had your two albums out, what was it like? Um, like afterwards, with those label really kind of pushing you still? Say that again. So you can only, so you can only work like forty-two hours, uh, like forty-two, 42 days a month, uh, 42 42 days a year, yeah. year. Yeah. 
you couldn't have done that to promote an album. Well, that was to do recordings, TV shows, touring, everything. We actually considered moving to America because your system was, as long as you got a private tutor and you're schooling for three hours a day, yeah. you can go on and do that. And yeah. we actually, con- I know we considered it, but this is where one of the parents said, no, 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 this ain't going to happen, you know. Um, but yeah, that kind of didn't help the band at all. It was more of a negative than a positive, as you just said. You try doing an album or doing all the work you can do or doing all these interviews that you want to do in 42 days. It's not going to happen. One of them nowadays. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And we actually ended up recording the second album. In fact, before we got to the second album, um, we got nominated for a Grammy Award as Best Newcomers. Now, as I said, the factors are, it's not pop, it's reggae. America hadn't really embraced reggae. Even to now, they understand, they've got an idea of reggae, but they still don't. It's not they're mainstream, you know. Mm. It's like something that's uh, distant to them. So you could get the best musicians in the world, but ask them to play reggae music. Some of them will struggle. They can play a form of reggae, but it's not reggae. And we get nominated for Best Newcomer in a Grammy. There's no reggae section. And it was from that that the Grammys looked at all the genres. If you're the Oscars of reggae, if you're the biggest uh, uh, music, uh, what's it called? Old age. Uh, one of the words I'm looking for you're celebrating music and artists yeah like the American Music Awards you're you're celebrating artists from around the world it should encompass everything because you are the Grammys yeah and it wasn't until until after we'd been nominated that they put a reggae section in we would we could have won it but we weren't around to do it just to be nominated and the day we went to the Grammys that that year Michael Jackson picked up the eight Grammys for Thriller so okay we were there on a historical occasion we were with uh, Irving Azoff was with us and <laughs> Irving is something else I mean he's a legend already with the, the oh yeah uh, you know Irving, Irving we had Irving and Irving was running with um, Don King at the time so we were sat on the same row and Don had just signed the Beatles the, not the Beatles the Jacksons to the victory tour and all the, all the American music promoters are up in arms because these boxing promoters got the Jacksons on a music tour. (laughs) But I reckon it was Irving Azoff that something that I couldn't have been, it couldn't have been him. Couldn't have been him at all. It would have been Irving Azoff that would have been a consultant on that one. You know, so. That was probably more than just a mouthpiece. He was a rebel rouser. (laughs) No, I mean, I've seen the documentaries of, you know, the Eagles and how Irving was and how they are and, you know, the stuff they did. So I get it. I get it. So we go on to record the second album. And uh, we were living in Beverly Hills. I mean, it's not like we could have big parties because we're too young. (laughs) We couldn't go out to any clubs. We couldn't go out clubbing, go out out drinking or nothing. Couldn't do none of that. We had to make our own fun. And if you think back then, we didn't have anything. We didn't have these. We didn't have phones, you know. We barely, I think, I didn't, I don't even think the Atari was there. So we had to, all we did was practice, 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 practice. 
which made us better. And uh, we ended up doing Montreal Jazz Festival headlining, Reggae Sunsplash in Jamaica headlining, you know, oh, and nice. some shows out in Japan and doing some live gigs in Thailand and uh, in Bangkok at the time. If you think in the 80s, Western bands hardly went to Thailand. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it was, how can I say, from the moment the band took off, and the success we didn't realize we were actually knocking and breaking down barriers yeah, every, everything you just, just put your own path the whole way through yeah i i get to when i when i travel and do gigs now and uh last year i did some shows in america on the west coast there people were coming to me saying now nah, you, you, you know you really changed how we saw uh your reggae music and we uh, I actually went. I actually lived in Los Angeles when I left the band. I lived. I, I was in Ireland for six months touring, learning my craft, and then I ended up out in LA recording my solo album. Two of the songs were recorded and produced by Stevie Wonder. So that's when I ended up signing to Ireland Records with Mr. Blackwell himself. How'd you end up with Stevie? That connection. Well, the Stevie connection came when we was recording the second album. We went down to JLA, JALH, which is Stevie's radio station. And one of the, the, the ladies down there said, how do you like to meet Stevie? And we're like, of course we want to meet Stevie. You wouldn't want to meet yeah. Stevie. She said, right, no problem. Anyway, so we're all up in our hotel. No, nah, we're using the hotel. We're up in the, the, the mansion in Beverly Hills. And uh, we get this call at three o'clock in the morning. Stevie's at the studio now. You can come down. So we had to get up <laughs> and drive down to the studio. And funny enough, the guy who took us, um, Top Senderson, he's, it's his birthday today, but he drove us down there and we were all there with Stevie and he was saying, he's got this air hockey table. And he said to me, if you beat me at air hockey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, so this man's blind. I'm going to beat him. Oh. So we played and Steve beats me. And I'm like, oh my, oh, my days. He's beaten me and he's blind. And he says, I've written a song for you anyway. And the song we recorded was called What You're Talking About. Funny enough, we didn't have the time for him to sing and produce it, but we recorded What You're Talking About for the second album. It's a good song. It's a great song. It is a good song. It's a real good song, to be it fair. It stands to out me. totally because you put down your in your solo album. Yes, I did. Out. I went it's back. totally and... different than the rest of your songs on the album. Yes. Well, it's a Stevie production. You know, and also, the music sounds it sounds much more much more reggae. The other stuff sounds more like it's eighties. Yes, it does. We're controlling you. It wasn't. I don't know. It does. It doesn't have that flow that you 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 had. Yeah, I mean, funny you say that because I listened to that album, my solo album. It's a bit. It's a bit of a mix and match. The voice, the voice is okay. It's a bit of a mix. It's not. It's not bad. It's not bad. Like vocally, it sounds good. Somebody trying to. It sounds like somebody trying to find their way. There's not needed guidance that's what it needed if i'm if i'm looking at it from total pure understanding the industry as i do that needed some you just need to be guided and i felt i thought you had it you steve if you kept that that was a sound right there yeah he did two songs so and then he did he was on the on the video as well so that was another getting getting stevie on the video because stevie never really doesn't go in people's videos unless it's Dion Warwick. <laughs> I think that yeah, he did a song with Julio Iglesias, and he never he never appeared in the video for that. 
So, yeah, so we went down there and that was where my relationship with Stevie started and we stayed friends ever since. I don't know, and then Nathan Watts, who's his bass player, we're still good friends. And it, it was like, he just embraced us. Just like Michael did. Michael Jackson embraced us. All the American really? artists. Yeah, we spent the day with Michael at, uh, at in Encino during, during the second act. We actually took a day out from recording and upset the producer. We got the call that Michael... We, 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 when Michael came over with um, Paul McCartney, was at the... What they call the Brit Awards. Mm-hmm. Now, it was called the BPI Awards, which was the biggest... It's, it's the English equivalent of the Grammys or the American Music Awards. Anyway, he came over and he met Michael, our Michael, the keyboard player, and said, when you're in the States, give me a call. So we get there and Michael's calling him and he gets an answer service. Now, answer service to me was an answer machine, but it wasn't. Then it wasn't. You had people actually on the other end of the line and they'd be taking the calls and they'd send the message to Michael. So we're up in the... um, We're up in the... Um, in the in the mansion in the mansion, and we get this call, and they're going hold the line. Michael Jackson's on the line for you, and uh, <laughs> he says, "We get on the phone, and, and Michael, our Michael's all excited. Wow, how, how you doing? Blah blah blah." And he's, and he's he's up. So then he says, "Dennis is here. Do you want to speak to him?" And then I'm like, "Really?" So I get on the phone. I go, "Hi, Mike. How you doing?" And he goes, "Hi." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> how you doing i was like what <laughs> anyway so we set up uh we said he said look come over come over to the house spend the day and chill out so we said yeah no problem so we set it up and we we all can you, I, I, you gotta imagine the scene now sean there's us five who are just five you know there's teenagers and there's teenagers and one younger one and we're boisterous because we're like wow you know, we're jumping up and down, jumping up and down and whatever. We never keep still. Anyway, we get to the house in Encino. By this, b- before we'd even met Michael, we'd already met Jermaine in a TV show in England. Mm-hmm. So Jermaine was cool. But we get to, we get to the gates in Encino and we drive up this, this long drive. Uh, you know, I'm in this city boy. This is like something out of this, out of this world. And uh, we get to the house and we're sitting there and it's nobody ain't talking. It's quiet. Then Michael comes down and we stand up for a meeting and we're like, wow, he's taller than we thought. He's <laughs> <laughs> taller than we thought. And then Janet came, Latoya came, um, wow. and then he, he introduces himself and then he introduces two of his, his neighbours with Rover. So he says, right, I'm going to take you all around the house. So it took us all around the house, every room in the house. He took us around every room, even the guest room. He said, nobody stays here, but we keep it, keep it here anyway. Then he says, takes us across the road to the studio. He says, I have to keep the studio across the road from the house. So I feel like I'm going to work. Then he takes us in his dance studio, takes us in his bedroom. And we're all like, wow, there's not a room that he doesn't say, don't go in there. Right. Even Janet's room, we went in Latoya's room. Then Latoya turns up, Janet, they came then Marlon, Tito, Randy, Jermaine, Jackie, they all turn up with their kids. So we're like, wow. I ended up, he took us and showed us all the animals and he's got a talking parrot. 
that only talks to him and women. So the parrot wouldn't talk to anybody. He said, wow, ah, help, anytime. That, so that was like 84, right? 84, that was 80, 83. Oh, wow. Was it Neverland where? So was it, it was Neverland right? No, Neverland, no. It was NC. Yeah. Okay. So this, this, I'm just going to set you up. I'm setting you up now. Okay. So he's got the monkey. He's got, uh, it wasn't Bubbles. It was Michael the monkey for the day. Then he had, I got Muscles, the snake on my shoulder. Was, <laughs> we was in his bedroom and he says, look, I've just done uh, a special for Motown, Motown 25. He said, this is what I've done. So he's put this video on and he's shown us the video. This is the video that made Thriller <laughs> explode. Billie Jean just went yeah. nuts after this. And me and Michael were sat there, we like with our mouths open up. I thought, well, can't believe it. And he's, yeah, yeah, I just done this. And we said, so what, what are you going to do now? He says, oh, I'm going to do one more video for Thriller. He said, I like horror movies. So I'm going to do Thriller based on a horror movie, the video. And that's uh-huh. all he said. But man, then that afternoon, Jane Fonda came over and hung out with us. So I was like, wow, <laughs> you're trying to, t- you can't get carried away. You just got to take it in your stride. That is actually, uh, Motley Crue of people. <laughs> yeah, we actually ended up recording a song with um, Latoya. So we did, we did Unconditional Love with Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. Brought her career back. And then we did, uh, I forgot, no matter, try to hide from what you feel inside. It was Howard Hewitt, Latoya Jackson and us, but the record company wouldn't allow her to release, put our name on it. So she just put it on her album. And uh, yeah. So whilst we were there, we did some live shows with uh, Donna Summer as well. Six lives. Yeah. Yeah. You did so, a lot in that short time period. You did a whole <laughs> lifetime in like a couple we, weeks. We did a, lot. we did a lot. I mean, it was, it was, as I say, it was organic. We didn't, we didn't get carried away with it because even even going to the Grammys, which was a big thing, it's a bit, I mean, you know, you get to the Grammys. I mean, now people recognize it because of how it's, how the internet has made it more, the globe, the, music, the musical globe tighter and smaller. The internet yeah. has made it smaller. Back then, we didn't have internet, you know. We didn't have mobile phones. We, you, you were going by satellite. We didn't have, like, what we're talking now. We I know, it, it's crazy. It's just, you know, so at the end of the day, what the groundbreaking, what we did was uh, unbeknownst to us, we're breaking down barriers. Mm-hmm. So I only get to understand it now as an adult, what was achieved. And I, I'm sure it's no mean feat. And I keep using this word organic. And the reason why it's organic, we're still talking 38 years after the song was released. I, I think everything that's organic and natural always has the best chance of success. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no, uh, as I say, there was no, uh, how can I say? We were, uh, we we played our instruments. If you go and watch any of the, any of the live shows that we did, or even Mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live, if you can get hold of it, think about it, Saturday Night Live. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, wow, people go, you were on Saturday Night Live? Yep, we were on Saturday Night Live. And Gene Simmons came backstage to see us. But we weren't interested in Gene. We were interested in the, the, the Atari game that we had. He probably saw you guys as a, as a good record label sign. He was always scouting out music. Was he? Oh, yeah. Well, 
he probably and Halen, uh, everyone else. He was scouting. He was always scouting. <laughs> yeah, we were. I mean, but we were signed to one of the biggest, so you know, because at the time MCA was one of the big six. Yeah, you know, CBS, RCA, Atlantic. Uh, who else was there? There's somebody else in there because Ireland wasn't even big then. It's gonna come to me. CBS, RCA, Mercury. Mercury. Mm-mm. MCA, okay. um, Warner Brothers, okay. Warner Brothers. So, you know, I mean, it's so that's, I mean, that's just US. The rest of the world, you know, Holland, France, they loved us. The French, if you know anything about the French, the French prefer you to be singing in French. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, we spoke. We sold as many records in France as we did in the UK. So we got gold status album, you know, Holland. Yeah. You can imagine Holland. We did a TV show, which was, we were miming. And there was a load of kids at this, this TV show. And when we finished performing, the kids actually said they wanted more. They were filming a TV show. And the kids, we want more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know. Um, when we did, when we performed in France, we had to perform uh, with a backing track. I had to sing live. Mm-hmm. So I was singing over the backing track live because that's how the French uh, Musicians Union wanted it. But yeah, um, we, we, we did break down some back. We even went out to Israel. A lot of people don't realize we went to Israel to do some shows. And at, yeah, I mean, at the time, you think Israel was ostracized. If you went to Israel, you couldn't get into certain countries. Uh, they wouldn't stamp the passport, but yeah, we did some shows and live shows in Tel Aviv, Haifa, and Jerusalem. Where's your book, man? This, this should be in a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Listen, I'm actually when I talk to you, Sean, and I do all I'm actually doing my research. I'm just trying to work out how I'm going to chronologically put it together. I don't know if I should just do the stories and then piece it together. That's what I'm working on because there's a 40th anniversary coming up in a couple of years, and I got to get it together. Otherwise, before my memory goes. But every time I talk to people, I start remembering things. <laughs> it, I got to work it, out. Yeah, it's, it's magical, man. I'm going to get it down. I mean, there's even a play. We did. We had a play done by a local theatre. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've got the script to the play. So you know, I, I might See, just. But, yeah, you didn't. These are the things we don't know. I mean, even you know, it's not a lot out there. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the play and seen this, see this guy as you and putting up your mannerisms you, you, you get kind of insular and i'm pretty i hope to think i'd like i like to hope i like to think i'm down to earth i get very humbled humbled in terms of you don't realize your your, your goal as a band our goal was a band if you remember sean i said we never set out to have a number one single that wasn't our goal wasn't in our, even in our thought process. All we wanted to do was release songs and record songs, do live shows that they would play on a sound system. <laughs> yeah. And we that could then, just go perform. You still do it now, so it worked out. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, as I say, I'm blessed. I had to take a small, short, I mean, I, I left the band for a short, I say a short time. I lost the love of the band. I fell out of love, not because yeah. of, 
not because of uh, it was outside sources. If you you know if you look at it, eleven to fifteen, you're growing up in that age. You look back at your friends that you went to school with at that age, and how many do you know? Really know, you know. And if you go back to what I said to you in this country, they didn't see us us. I mean, as successful as we are, we were. It just felt like it wasn't a success, if you know what I'm saying. Looking from the outside, you go, man, are you crazy? Look what you've got. Look what you've done. Yeah. Look how you've... And we, you know, the word exploitation, yeah. we never exploited it because the manager we had didn't understand the business and he had people around him that have gone on to do major things in the, in the industry, but he right. decided that he, he knew better. And little did we know what he was actually doing was, and everybody gets done we were getting ripped off and, and that's no new news in any any in any fo- short form that's not new news think about even if i take you now to the 21st century taylor swift successful artist her first label what they're doing to her um what i have discovered and this was the good thing for the band our parents didn't manage us so they were our parents if you know what i'm saying you cannot manage your own child. And there's history. <laughs> I can't strong. manage mine. <laughs> right. Like you, you play an instrument. It's no point you trying to teach your child the instrument unless the child wants to learn. You got to give them to somebody else because they'll question you. <laughs> Why do I have to do yeah. it? Why do I have to do it? Yeah. Now, the history has shown there's no good thing comes from a parent managing a, a child. And when I say no good thing, it be, for, the, for the artists, they cannot get away from that which they need a break from so if the parent manages them is that my business manager or my father through all all the people you know i'm looking at i'm looking at beyonce not even it doesn't even have to be music i have to look at lewis hamilton in formula one and his dad he needed to get his dad back that's what he said i need my dad back beyonce michael jackson you can name them i can take you through them who's going through it now Britney Spears. And that's all because she had a break now and she needed a break. (laughs) If somebody would have said to me, look, take a break, come back, we'll get it together. No problem. Nobody was there to advise that. My my mom didn't know. My mom's a single parent. She don't know the industry. She's just going to go with what I want. So thank, thank goodness for me, it was less stress for her. She never, ever questioned my decision, even, even as young as I was. She never questioned. All she said was, as long as you're happy, it ain't no problem for me. See, and after you bowed out, because it, it, it was a bad, bad industry. I mean, when I was in college, they actually, in a class, they talked about how bad the payola was with the record labels. And when you go into the radio stations, they would bring yeah. a suitcase of cash or yeah. coke to push a single. Yeah. A lot of times it wasn't like, you know, it was crooked the whole way through. Everybody was getting screwed except for the record labels. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. But you know what? This is the music industry and exploitation is in, is, is in the contract. We are going to exploit you and exploit you. We will. And uh, there's nobody in the music industry that's never been ripped off. And those who say they haven't, they don't know it yet. <laughs> they don't know it. So, you know, it's when you're trying to achieve, I mean, it all depends on your mindset. If you, uh, if you are looking for success and start, I always tell anybody, a parent would come to me and say, well, I don't make my son successful. 
I just tell them hard work. And it's not about now. You know, yeah. people want, if you want, if you want now, yeah, we want it now. You think of all those shows, TV. I mean, here in this country, you know it, you've got American Idol, but American Idol is more successful than the X Factor here because the American music industry accepts that that is a talent and we need to exploit it. And American Idol is their vehicle and they take it seriously. So you've got artists who have gone on and won Grammys, Oscars from American Idol. Yeah. It's not the same in this country. I don't know why, but their attitude is, it's, it's not real. It's too quick. It isn't real though, but it isn't real. <laughs> but it, 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 it works it, for people. It works. I mean, there's a lot of good artists that come out of it, but overall yeah. the show is kind of a goof. Well, I always talk, you see, like my daughter plays music and she's studying music at university. And I said to her, look, if you want a career, you don't go on these reality TV shows. That is not a career. That does not make you a musician. Career. You're a musician, not a celebrity. You need to start from there and you need to grow it. So whether your your level is I'm going to play in the local pub once a week or I'm going to build myself up so I get to play at major stadiums, doesn't matter. The reason why I'm still performing today is because I know what it is to go from rehearsing seven days a week, having a successful single, uh, having a successful album, touring the world. And I never really toured the world because I never did Australia. I never did Germany, never played. And these are places I want to play live. And that's only because we can only do 42 days a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, you will then see where people people think, well, you can't be any good because you're not on TV. It's not about being on TV. It's about being where you're at and are you happy with what you want to do. I'm, I can sit here as a, an artist of, what am I? I started at 14, so I'm coming up to my 40th year in performing. And when I go and do uh, these 80s shows with other artists from the 80s, I am still the youngest artist. That's the thing. really funny. Because, yeah, it's it's like, really funny. I actually stand there, literally, Sean, I stand there and watch them, and they start talking about when we used to go clubbing, and I look at them, and I couldn't go clubbing. Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm 50 now, so, like, you were, like, Right in your age range for me seeing somebody right. my age so playing you, music you, on TV. You would have been 11. Calvin was your age. Calvin's your age. Yeah. It was amazing to see kids playing on TV, on MTV. Playing. Yeah. I thought it was the and best. You know what, Sean? You say that. Our actual goal was we want to encourage other kids to play music. That was our goal. We yeah. want to encourage other kids to play music. So you're just confirming what our goal was. And we never lost that. Just encourage other, just seeing us, if it's seeing us encourages other kids to play, even better. So when people come to me and say, you encourage me to get up and play music, I learned English from you, I learned this, like, wow. It's just overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. It is overwhelming because you remember, we didn't have this medium. We didn't have this. We didn't have the internet. All we had was letters. <laughs> and <phone calls. laughs> That was it. And radio stations. We didn't have that, you know. And the amount of radio stations in this country compared to America, well, we only had really one station that controlled who had hits. And that was Radio 1. You weren't played on Radio 1. You weren't on their playlist. 
you were struggling. If you didn't get on Top of the Pops, which Top of the Pops was the biggest music show in this country for 40 years at least. Yeah. If, you, if your single went down after Top of the Pops, that was it. But we never got onto Top of the Pops until the Christmas of 82 because of the education board. So they had to play the video. So, yeah, so it was, how can I say, you, you grow up fast. It's like growing up on TV, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, but you didn't have the, 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 uh, the behind the music crash. I mean, you had life stuff happen, but it wasn't like, you know. Oh, listen, that's because we didn't live in London. So we weren't in that London bubble. So for you guys in America, what, you, what you've got, and you get to understand this, what you've got is the hubs. So you got New York. Yeah. So in the 80s, you had New York, you had Los Angeles. Now you've got New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Atlanta. There's other places. Even, I mean, you can't even talk about the South. You know, you can't talk about it because that was, <laughs> the there's, two, there's, there's so many cities. You got so mm-hmm. many people. Right. So, for us, for us in this country, you want to get into the music industry, you want to go and see a record label, you go to London, that's it. Doesn't matter where you live in the country, you go to London. But some of the guys ended up living in London because that's where the record companies was, were. We didn't do that. And we benefited from not doing that, yeah. so to speak. Because if we'd have done that, maybe, maybe, who knows? Because that's where all the major TV stations were, blah, 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 you know. So, yeah, that's no guarantee. At that point, you, you start getting into that world, you start to get the ego and you're young kids, you don't know. Mm. One or a couple of you guys are dangerous, Listen, something, you know, that's it. Nah, nah, we were never going to get that way because we also kept each other in check. With two sets of brothers and me, we kept each other in check. That's good. But we also, going to school for me, brought me back down to earth when I used to do interviews. <laughs> You're walking to school. I say, yeah, of course I walk to school. It's only down the road. I always walk to school. What, what's any different now? I go, what? No security, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, wow. And then when we had to have security, it was like, okay, so this is security. Then we had to have a police escort. It was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> when we're going in the back of limos, we decided as a group not to lord it over our friends, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, I said, we didn't tell yeah. them when we were releasing the single. We never told them that we used to fly to Los Angeles for the weekend and come back on the Monday to get to school. And they'd see, <laughs> they would see it in the paper and go, were you in such and such the weekend? Yeah. Why didn't you tell us? <laughs> it, you know, it, that's like, wow, that's like going to Mars. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, 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 you guys were really grounded. I mean, so what time? So you left the band. What happened to the rest of the band? Did you guys, did they keep on without you? Well, this was my whole thought process. I wanted the band to continue, but as it happens, as it happens, my decision to step down was preempted by certain things that was going on beyond my control, which I now realize maybe it was a hasty, hasty decision. Maybe it wasn't, but I have no regrets because I'm here sitting with you having a decent conversation about my, you know, and unfortunately 
Patrick, the bass player, passed away at uh, 24. His brother is schizophrenic, so he can't have this conversation with you. The only other person that can, there's two other people, Calvin, but, you know, Calvin's the youngest, and he, I've never really sat down with him and asked him how it affected him, because he's your age now. Yeah, okay. so before he's, before he's even left junior high, as you would call it, his career, more or less, people were saying he's over. That's not right. You know, that's not right. We got friends coming out of high school saying they're about to start their career. They're telling us where our career is over. No. Anyway, so psychologically, um, for me, Calvin, Calvin has got to make decisions as an adult. Whereas Michael now, he lives in Canada with his kids. Yeah. So Michael and myself, we got back together. And I said, Michael does a keyboard, right? Yeah, he does keyboards. So Michael and myself bonded again over something that we loved anyway. You know, it's something we did, something we we loved doing. So it wasn't nothing hard, so to speak. I I saw in an interview, uh, sorry, uh, as Michael was just saying, he had at the time he had three young kids. So uh, was he looking for like a was looking for like a thirty two month tour or something? No, no, no. It was, yeah, well, hold on. So I've got kids. So I've said to yeah. myself, well, having spoken and read, because I read a lot of books about musicians, and the yeah. one thing I noticed, they all went on tour. Now, I didn't want to go on tour because I have kids, and I wanted to see them grow up. Right. So it's a decision I had to make. Either you're going to tour or you do gigs, or you're going to stay at home and watch your kids grow up. And Michael's now got kids. He started his family at 48, 50. And I said to him, look, you're going to have to take a sabbatical for a while because you're going to need to watch your kids grow up. And I can't, I can't encourage you not to be with your kids. Right. That would be the best thing. We can record electronically and over the internet. Yeah. It's not a problem, you know. And he's now seeing what I'm, what I'm telling him. And he always calls me up and goes, you're not wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> you cannot buy that time back. I don't care how much money you've got. I speak to any of them successful artists and they've got kids, if they tell you that they missed their kids, they didn't miss their kids growing up, something's not right. Uh, yeah, every they rock biography talks about that. The kids. They cannot buy that time back. Don't care how much money you got. So, it, so it's... So actually, that, that, I'm sorry, that, so that time, when you did that, you actually did something else fantastic. You started a career, a different <laughs> career, and not only did you just have a career, you became successful and became an owner. Like you went from the rock bottom, you went from the bottom again and went to the top again. And then you got done, done with that. Now you're back doing this again. You're right. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you see, I don't, you see, you, you saying it, Sean, doesn't register with me. My whole, my whole ethos was, hold on a minute. And I had this conversation with Michael the other day. When I left the band at 18, I wasn't thinking about this is my only income which it was, I wasn't thinking about I'm going to get royalties because I didn't think I was going to get any royalties. All I was thinking about was I'm going to have to earn a living somehow, some, some, somehow else. And it was when I was in LA, and you think about it, I'm in LA at 20, I had my 21st birthday. I've gone to dinner. Little did I know history was being made before my very eyes. Just like the Michael Jackson, this Motown 25. I had yeah. I two hours with NWA, uh-huh. with Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, Mello, and Cube. 
I was in a meeting with, I was in there with, for two hours with a girl named Kim Beauty from Island Records because Island was trying to sign NWA. Wow. Before they signed to Interscope, I think it was. Anyway, as it happens, they signed to Ireland for the rest of the world. And I said to myself, my manager said, you've never worked a day in your life. <laughs> what do you know about work? You've never worked. And I, and I, I wanted to show him that I knew it to work. So I, I, I came back to, I came back to England and I was living in Birmingham. I went to London. I worked, I worked for a dry foods company, but when I came back to Birmingham to live, I'd met my wife then. Um, I decided there's no way I'm going to, cause we got, we got dole, what they call a dole. The government gives you money handouts. Okay. So yeah. no, I don't want to do Sorry that. I learned all these little, uh, it's English jargon. Really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's, it's government handouts. Yeah, which is the unemployment. UK. unemployment benefit. That's it. Like you've been okay, yep, yep. Anyway, so I decided I don't want to do that. And uh, my brother encouraged me. He said, look, go find a job. We'll help you out. And so I, I started working for a rental car rental company because I thought, well, if I have to go on tour, I can get out of this job easy. And then I set up my own little band, um, which was all local guys that I knew and we were doing gigs, but at the same time I was working and I went from car valeter to receptionist, assistant receptionist then assistant manager, then manager. And then I went on to own my old car rental company. (laughs) (laughs) So The skills, my skills are transferred, so to speak. And uh, it, it kind of, it wasn't a case of, this is what I'm going to do. It was just a case of, I'm going to just do this job to the best of my ability. Right. And it's for other other people to look and see if you're any good, because if you're just a bit of a, you ain't got no, no, uh, no discipline because it's discipline. It's definitely discipline. And uh, to me, it's the norm. I I don't, you know, you got to earn a living. Well, there you go. Do that. If you can do that, do it. If you can drive, drive. Is it different over over in England like that though? Like the way they the child star and the phrase and these are things that make it crazy. It's a one hit wonder phrase or Well, no, because Music Eve wasn't a one hit wonder here. Because we had eight top ten hits. Oh sorry, top forty hits. We had eight. Yes, we only have two, I think, like large we we knew over here. In in the States, yes. In the States, that's what I'm saying. Yes. I mean we helped a lot of people don't realise we helped Donna Summer back with her career with unconditional love, which at the time when they released it, we had a single out. So you can imagine you've got Musical Youth with Unconditional Love and Donna Summer and Musical yeah. Youth soundtrack, 16, going up the charts together. So we were on top of the pops two weeks in a row. Wow. So that was like overkill. Um, but my whole philosophy was just to make sure I earned a living for my, you know, I could pay pay, pay for my house and pay my bills. And yeah. you got to understand, we, 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 we never had any royalties. So for... It was only when I set up the rental company back in 2003 that I'd set up my own rental company that I got a knock from a, my old manager saying, look, I've had a look at your royalties and you haven't been, have they paid you any royalties? It was when they really, when they put the single on um, The Wedding Singer. Yeah. And I'd already, yeah. Phoned up, I'd already phoned up Universal to ask about what's going on with the band stuff. And the lady at the, end, the receptionist actually said, there's no money here. 
I said to her, I said to her, I didn't phone you about money. I wasn't phoning you about money because I didn't think there was any money there anyway. Little <laughs> did I know, little did I know, unbeknownst to me. There was 12 years of money or 18 years of money that they'd had for us because we left the label. We weren't in the, bl- we weren't in the red. We were in the black. They were recouped. So we were probably one of the only artists in the 80s that they actually recouped from. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> interest on that too right they're just so they're just they're holding okay, it for so, you and they're so using you as a bank so here is sean what what when when my my manager at the time who we we fell out after we came back from la because it was i was in la with him and he had a heart attack at 36 so <laughs> you can see the sinai hospital and the only next of kin is me he's white irish i'm black english and it's like wow <laughs> <laughs> And I saw myself going back with this coughing like this. Anyway, uh, as it happens, they then decided to pay us a five-figure sum each. And I I went, hold on, where's this come from? Because I was told there's no money. And all of a sudden, you're paying us royalties? And that set up a whole chain of events, which meant I had to get Michael involved, and we started. And it got to a point where I just said to I just said to the universe they tried to play hardball because i said if you've paid us this money that means you've got to pay interest how long has it been there where's it suddenly come from because you don't suddenly pay somebody five figure sum and think oh go away it doesn't work like that for me because i'm not interested in the money because i didn't think i had any anyway so i'm now in spite of you i've still got my i've still got my company yeah because i've got my company i want to know how long it's been there? Has it been there one year? Has it been there 10 years? Turns out it was there 18 years. But because of the statutes and limitations and the law, they only had to go back six years. So they only paid us for six years. They never paid us for 18. Really? Yeah. So when you when I say to you that, every, and it was Peter Hammond who said to me, Dennis, and I was only 15, I remember this. It was about the publishing. He said, what about the publishing? Who writes the songs? I said, well, it's mainly me and Junior because we're the oldest. So he wrote the music, I wrote the lyrics. But what he said to me was, and I'll never forget it, he said, you should put it in your own names. And I said, nah. I said, nah, we were abandoned, so we put it in everybody's name. So that's a bad thing, right? So it's everybody involved. It's like Lennon and McCartney. Yep. But it doesn't say that, that Ringo and... Um, George. Oh, George. Uh, George didn't get any royalties. They got royalties. They just didn't get the recognition of Lennon McCartney, but they got royalties. And he actually said to me, Dennis, where there's a hit, there's a writ. I was like, no. Turns out (laughs) it was true. (laughs) It was true. It was true. But I never thought that of my own musical use record. So that set up a whole chain of events and our relationship with Universal kind of changed because I saw them for what they were. And again, I use them words, exploitation. Their excuse was they didn't have our address. And I'm like, well, my mom lives in the same house. My mom still lives in the same house that she signed the contracts. That's got the address of the house. So your excuse is... How long ago was that? This was 2003, 2004. And it got to a point where they were trying to play hardball, where they didn't want to pay any interest on the monies. And I said to their, their, their lawyer, I said, look, you know what? I'm at this point in my life 
in spite of MCA or Universal and their money. So if you want to go all the way, please do, because it don't matter to me because it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm at this point where I'm, I'm solvent myself. I'm not worried about you. you. What you're giving me is what you owe me. You're not doing me any favors. It's what you should have been doing anyway. So now that you've been caught with your proverbial pants around your ankles, if you don't want to do the deal, no problem. We'll see you in court. There we go. And from that, I remember where I was. I was in the back of a car and she put the phone down and I said, what you've got to understand is, in fact, my words to her was, what you've got to understand is, you've got living people at the end of this. I've got a friend of mine who's gone to his grave thinking he was broke and that's not good. This is the human factor of it. That's not good. And you've just ripped off kids. That's not good either. <laughs> and uh, changed the whole ethos of the whole situation. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you have nothing to lose. It's always the scariest thing for any opponent anywhere. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> if you have nothing to lose, though, you're like, well, I can't. I, I, how do I fight that? <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything to me because I. No, I'm, they can't. That's the thing. That's the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> And then I decided when I when I'd sold the record when I'd sold the the, uh, the car rental company, I actually made a decision that I don't want to go and work for anybody else. I went and studied music for some reason at thirty seven, <laughs> and uh, I did a, a degree. And I thought, mm, uh, you've been playing music long enough. You should have more than a degree. You should have. So I went and did a masters. That's what I did. Did <laughs> you? Yeah, yeah. So now, what are you doing with that degree? The, what did I do with my masters? Yeah, I mean, I know you're playing out, but what else? You the other you because you do a lot of things. You are the Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, I wanted to take them skills and pass it on to other musicians. So post sixteen, so if you're at university or a music college, that's the kind of thing I wanted to. But I end up training people. That's what I ended up doing, but not in music, in working at height. So cherry pickers, ladders, mobile towers. That's what I train people in. And that's because we fit. Well, you're, you're, you're much of a mentor. I think that's the way you, you are. You carry yourself. But no, I mean, in about, where am I now? In about six years, I'm actually working up something in my mind where I can do some consultancy for artists. And it's not so much, if you think about it now, artists struggle with their mental health. Yep. And a lot of people don't realize. I mean, we've got lockdowns around the world. For me, I don't have a problem sitting between two rooms because from the age of 14, I spent lots of hours in rooms yeah. doing nothing. I didn't have a mobile phone to help me out. <laughs> I didn't have the internet to help me out. I didn't have half the things. I can't even say half. I didn't have one-tenth of the things to help me out. All I had was books and my own sanity and I stepped away from the band for my own sanity, for my own happiness. I, I, I got saved by my Lord and Savior. That kept my sanity right. But yeah, there's too many artists now because they see them shows, like I said, they want it now. They don't want to work for it. And you've got to do the work. If you want to have a career, whether you want to play in a pub or you want to go on the biggest TV shows in the world, you've got to put the work in. Because if it easy come, easy go. That's we're gonna have a we're gonna have a generation of artists that we don't know. They're all the same. There's nothing different about them. They're all using the same art. The only difference between the 80s and now 
technology, like I said, technology. So everybody's got access to the same sounds. Now it's about the song. Can't take that away. It's about the song. Don't care how good the artist is at singing. Most of these artists who come off the TV shows, they struggle. And they don't stay with the labels. That They only stay with the label for a year because they don't know what they're going to do with it. Remember I said my first album was somebody needing guidance? Well, it's the same for them now. What, what, where are you going to put them? Where do you put them? And also now, which I love, you now have to go out and perform live because the money's not in the recordings. Because yeah. downloads don't earn as much as actual recordings. The money's in the live shows. That's why you got these artists doing 360 deals because they have to go out and live, do live gigs. So now you have to do your craft. You have to know your craft. I've known my craft and I can see somebody and coach them and whatever, but that's, that's for the future. That's something else. I'm actually, you know, just enjoying with my band, just enjoying, you know, what I'm doing again. Like, yeah, you got some stuff out there like, um, and iTunes, yeah, like a couple songs. I mean, it's a couple, like, there's like two albums on there. And iTunes is weird. I don't know. Have you ever noticed when you go on iTunes? There's like one band you're looking for, and it actually is um, the same band. Like, yeah. I mean, two, two different bands, the same name. It's like, like it'd be like a rock band and like a dance band, but it's the same name. Yeah. You're like, what the? <laughs> well, anyway, I don't, I, the, the algorithm of iTunes, I understand. But you guys have two, um, for musical youth, you have two things on there, like an anthology. Yeah. And then like some, I, I forget the other album was. And then you have your you have the oh sorry then you have the um the new one newer one I, I you can't I can't tell by the dates either the dates are kind of weird on iTunes it's good though your reggae co- uh, covers on album well when I recorded when I was at university when I did my masters you have to do a final project and the final project I decided when I sat down with the lecturer I said to him look. I don't want to do this and it just goes in a box. This final project I do is going to carry on and go into the, you know, into the commercial world. And the album I decided, I decided to call it the project When Reggae Was King. And it was the songs, not so much that inspired me because they were always there anyway. It was what made reggae, reggae in this country, um, in this country. And it went from 1972 and I had a, I had a time, you know, there's a theme to it. So it goes, harkens back to the time when artists and rock artists especially did themed albums, didn't they? Yeah. They chose a theme. That's what we're going to write about. And that's what they went through. Now it's not the same. Now it's what's a single? What can we promote? You see where I'm coming from? So I decided we're going to stick with this theme. And I decided to do all these artists that, these great reggae artists. So Jimmy Cliff, Toots Hibbert, who unfortunately passed away last month. Obviously Bob Marley's one, uh, Bob Marley songs on there, John Holt's on there, Gregory Isaac's on there, Sugar Minot's on there. And we had a great relationship with Sugar, you know? So these are the songs we grew up listening to, but were in my community. So some of them were, some of them made the charts in the UK, but the majority of them made the charts in the UK between 72 and 82 when we started our career. So I decided to call this album When Reggae Was King. Yeah. So this time, what I didn't do was, I'm going to, because everybody always goes, just put it up on YouTube. No, just put it up on um, uh, YouTube. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it that way. Because I always think less is more. 
if somebody really wants the album, they'll find it. They will find it. And it just so happens that I held back and I only pressed up a thousand copies of the album. So there's a thousand CDs that we pressed up and I've got my guy in Harlem that's got some and I've got some here. And when I went to America, I decided, oh, let me see what I can touch, knock some doors. And a friend of mine sent it to a label and he loved it. And I said, well, lucky for you, I haven't put it out on the digital media yet. So you've got first first call on it. And I've left that with him. You know, yeah. bearing in mind, I own the masters because we paid for the album and I know where they go. So nice. now it's a case of, you can't, you can't, what are you going to tell me about all this and, you know, the money or whatever? You can't tell me because I know how to, I know what I need to do. I don't need to throw it out on the internet to cheapen it. You can come to a live gig, you can buy the album, I'll sign it for you. That's how the industry's gone now. Remember I said, the industry's gone back to playing live, which is the best because it's yep. immediate, you know. It's immediate. And any artist who comes from the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they would understand this. Playing live is the best because you get that instant gratification. They still put on the best shows too. I'd rather yeah. see a show from but then. You've still, got to, you've still got to be able to perform, Sean. It's a case of, it's not a case of, you know, Leona Lewis is probably one of the biggest exports of X Factor from this country to America. Okay. But no disrespect to Leona. I don't want to go and see her perform live because I don't see her as a live artist. And you've got to understand there's live artists, there's recording artists. Some of them do both very well. Beyonce does both very well. Michael Jackson does both very well. You know why Michael Jackson was a good live artist? Because when he went into Motown, he had to do it live. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so for him going on stage was nothing. So when they were talking about, oh, he's going to struggle with the 50 shows, if Michael would have done them 50 shows, no problem at all. The only problem Michael would have had is all the paraphernalia behind it. Right. Physically, he was doing his own medical issues. You, You see all these bands and they say reforming. They're not reforming. They're just getting together to do stuff that they did when they were younger and they mm-hmm. fell out. Can you imagine all these artists, they, their whole goal? Some of them, remember, I said we never set out to be number one successful right. selling artists. We never set out for that. All we wanted to do was live shows. These guys were all adults, right? They decided they wanted to have hits. And when they had the hits, they couldn't stand each other. So you look at it and go, wow. <laughs> You strived all that way to get to there and you fall apart. Why? Because your egos. That's all it is. Egos. That's what it is. Um, and the good exponents of this um, 21st century would be, um, I suppose, uh, what's his name? Mr. Martin and his band, which I don't know. Uh, Chris Martin and Coldplay. Coldplay. And they took their, their model from U2. You two, same guys, got it together, understood, boom, doesn't break. And that's how you want to be. You want to be looking back and going, yeah, (laughs) we're still doing it. I don't think you two are not. You two are you two. If you go around them, they've got the same crew, as far as I know. No, I think they do. They're they're legendary for like, it's like family. The crew's like family. They're just. And that's, to be fair, that's how it's supposed to be. 
Well, the, the money's the, the money's part of the, the the bit. That's just part of. It. Remember in their first, in their early career, but for the support of Island Records and Chris Blackwell, they would have been off. You go. You're not making any money. See you later. But there's longevity in a band. That's that's the key. There's a longevity in a band. You think of you think of. Uh, uh, Zane, Zane, and all them boys from uh, One Direction. And yeah. That's a together thing, like the, the the monkeys. And the only people, I mean, whilst they're earning big money, let's not get it, let's let's not beat around the bush. They're earning big money, but somebody's earning bigger money than them. <laughs> the manager, yeah, because they've been put together. It's just what it is. You know, they don't know about doing gigs in a pub. You think of all the rock bands, you know, Led Zeppelin's and the. Ozzy and Black Sabbath and all them, they all started in pubs. So for them, <laughs> it's like, well, they can do a gig in a pub. I can do a gig in a pub. I can also do a gig at a big 100,000 festival. Doesn't matter. That, that, that's the thing. That's actually what this show's about. It's about people that can still play. They do stuff, you know? <laughs> yes. It, it, it's literally the core. Like my, I've had some people on from independent artists, but their own records out from Canada. They, mm-hmm. on, they come on, they'll sing. You know, I'll, I'm going to record a bunch of them from all out. Yeah, uh, like a batch, and like you, I you know, is he still playing? Is he still doing stuff? I'm, and you're on YouTube. There's, you know, there's enough out there. I'm like, ah, people need to know this. There's still live music. There's still yeah. a musician, not not a rock star. <laughs> and and that's no. a huge difference. You want to grow up be a musician or a rock star? Musician. Well, it's something that I'll do till the rest of my days. For the rest of my days, I'll still be playing music. I had a manager try and tell me that you won't play. I said, you can't stop me from playing. You don't run the world. You know, yeah. And once you understand as an artist that you have the control, you can say yes or no. You know, if you're going to sell your soul, sell your soul, but don't expect to get it back. If you're looking for gratification, thing can happen. If you look within yourself and you're happy within yourself, and you can look in the mirror and say, "Look, I was true to myself." You know what? Then. That nobody can take that away from you. You gotta no, it be. Shows, it shows in your energy. It shows in the conversation how, how different you are. You know, <laughs> sincere. It's 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 infectious. You know, and that that's real. That, that's what yeah. music is about to me. And that's you know that's well, why. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I've got my wall over here. I've got my father-in-law is a jazz musician, and he came to this country and he had to fight, 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 fight. And jazz, as you know, behind classical music. Jazz music was the next genre that everybody went to in terms of being able to read. And But jazz, you know, people who like jazz like jazz. Yeah. And he made me appreciate about gigging. He made me appreciate it. He passed, he did his last gig at 94. And I look, wow. I'm thinking if I can play a gig at 94, I'll be, I mean, his ears had gone, but he was just playing by memory. But look, he did what he did. I think people get that usually like, well, why why would you just retire? Because music is not a job. Music no. is what's in you. Music is what you do. That's, right. that's why Ozzy keeps having his 15 retirement tours. He's like, I can't do this. My I have God. to sing. <laughs> Listen, people keep saying, why don't the Rolling Stones retire? Why should they? What, about what, the else, money? Do they, what else do they need? It's not, Listen, it's not about the money, is it now? I don't think it's about the money since the 70s. I mean, they've... <laughs> It's not about okay. the money. Sure. No. Come on. Is it about the money? No. No. You know, go and speak to Don Henley and ask him why he does live gigs. It's not about the money. <laughs> Can't be. Can't be about the money. 
Yeah. Gonna sting or any one of them successful artists. Ask Stevie Wonder why he does live gigs. It's not about the money. Stevie doesn't need to tour. You look at Beyonce. Does Beyonce need to tour? No. So why should she do it? Because that's what she loves doing. That's what she is. You don't have it. That's what she does. Yeah. I just I, I just listened to a book on uh, Mariah Carey. People go, you listen to Mariah Carey? She's an artist and she's a successful artist. And I wanted to yeah. know what made her tick, you know? And there's things coming out from that book that I'm like, wow. So it's not about the money now because she's living in a 30 million pound, 30 million dollar mansion and she's still not happy. What? <laughs> I like yep. to do that. I like to, I like to read a, a biography. Even if somebody I didn't listen to earlier on, it might not be my, my thing. I'll mm-hmm. go for a deep dive. I'll go back and listen to all their albums. Yeah, listen. The production of it. And yep. it, it's a different world. And then you read the book and you learn more. Even if I didn't like them in the past, just yes. understand them. I respect all. I don't like hate. Hate, hate music to me don't, words don't work out. I mean, I like them, you know, but. Mm-hmm. You see, but when I do the book, I have to, I, I try not to think, okay, I'm going to be the central person, but I also have to throw Michael in there. I might, if I can get him, might be able to get Calvin to throw his lot in there. So you've now got not just a one-eyed monster. You've got full all round. What was it like for you? We were in the same situation. What was it like for you? What was it like for you? Because whilst, whilst Mariah is a solo artist, so she mm-hmm. has to bear everything the band i was able to deflect you know when it came to interviews we could send two that way two that way and me that way so it wasn't the, the brunt wasn't born on just one person with a solo artist it's more pressure because everything has to be done by them and you can share your success with yourself there you go well maybe you know you yeah but you have to put the right people around you as well and listening to mariah her family didn't keep her safe that's what she says. But her mom made her grow up, you know, and she was able to adapt and overcome. She still made it successful. She's still there doing her thing. So you say to yourself, well, it made you the person you are today. But, you know, if your family, I mean, I'm just looking at mine, I'm going, wow, I thought my, I don't have them. I don't have them worries with my family. Like I said, my mom didn't know the music industry, so she's not going to, she's not going to know anything. Yeah, you know, she's bringing up seven kids on her own. She's not thinking, "Well, I'm going to go on tour with him." <laughs> she <is. laughs> likewise. She never ever said, "I need money from you," because she wasn't like that. She wanted she had her own money. I would make sure she had money. Mariah made sure her mom got a house. Most of the artists would make sure their families. And uh, in fact, I, I started on listening to Melanie Brown from Mel B from Spice Girls. And her dad would not move into the big house that she bought for her mom and dad. In fact, he split her mom and dad up because he wouldn't go to the house. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It is. It's funny because that she went into a band that was put together. She's from an area. Her dad is from a country called Nevis, which is where my mom's from. And Nevis, there's only 11,000 people. So, you know, they talk about six degrees of separation. <laughs> yeah. There's something about the Spice Girls, though, even though they had the poppy songs and the image. They, there's something about them that they were all individuals to make the well, some of them. You say that, that they right? weren't. So that's an outsider. I, I, you know, I, I think they're more to them than, than some of the bands that are. are I'm going to give you. Together. I'm going to give you this from a marketing point of view. The fact that you just said, even though it was a band, they were individuals. That was a marketing ploy. Oh, it was the same marketing ploy 
they used on musical youth because musical youth people thought we were all brothers we are not we were two sets of brothers and me and what they did purposely was put us all in different colors so my color was green and if you go back and look at it you'll see it my color was green mike was yellow patrick was red junior was black or white and pat calvin was blue the primary colors that's how they sold it they said we know you one group but we need to make you individuals that's exactly what they do the spice girls that's pretty sweet i didn't know that <laughs> see so when i saw it i was like ah, that's a marketing thing it is but i'm saying but in it's retrospect now in yes. like now though when they talk and they've done their other success you've yeah. seen them go on they didn't just vanish they all were very strong women they are strong and some, some of these bands just vanish and once again i'm not like a spice girls fan but yeah props where they go because you know of, of the bands that survive it's you know it's hard being yeah. a girl band too Yes, but they're not a girl band, are they? No, they're not a band. They're a group. Right. So, a band for me, you're playing instruments. <laughs> you're playing. Fair. Instruments. And I, I can't believe I said that because, like, I most music I listen to, yeah, it's got to be instruments. <laughs> Very little effects. It's got to be, you know, I love classical. I love, I love rock. I love soul. Yeah. And, uh, mm. I love everything. And R&B. Yeah. But it's got to be, and of course, you know, in reggae, but, but, but to me, it's got to be real music. It's got to be, like, yep. my family listens to music. I'm like, hey, they're so, who this is? I'm like, uh, you know what? Sounds so produced to me. Like, so produced. <laughs> when I was in school, yeah. the, the producer came in one day and he was, they, they, they taught at the school and they're like, um, yeah, well, the kid was teaching school and then they go and edit. And they're doing, remember the artist Pebbles back in the yes. 90s? Yeah, yeah. He came in, he came in, he's talking with the class. He goes, he goes she cannot sing. He would say every single song, and this is by him. He could—he was kind of a jerk too, though. So, mm-hmm. so, so Pebbles, uh, you probably could sing. I don't know. He would say every single song, every word they had to edit together, right? You know, because it was one of those acts. Now, you don't know really the truth of that whole thing, you know, but it's well, one of those groups that's just singing. You can tell. I mean, think of Mini Vanilli. Yeah. You know, they won a Grammy, and they never sang anything. You go, wow, okay. But that's the industry for you. They allowed that to happen. They did. Somebody knew. Somebody knew. And that's what came out. It was only when they go when they go to do the live shows that you say, Really? And some of them can't perform. No. Just can't perform. It goes back in track. It goes back to what I said. You're either a recording artist. Or a live artist, and you can bridge the two. Sometimes you get successful recording artists. I'll give you a case in point. Um, God rest this song, Amy Winehouse, sing the yep. rocks or anything. The trouble was she didn't do like doing live gigs because she had to go and sing about her ex boyfriend or ex partner or whatever. It brings yep. up all those. Adele's the same. Yeah, brilliant recording artist. But not somebody I'd think I need to go and see them live. <laughs> no. No, no. Well, I think music. Yeah, music has a certain thing. I have, I have a record collection now. Yeah. And I I have like say three hundred vinyls, much to the chagrin yeah. of my wife. And there's more. There'll always be more. <laughs> Just like guitars. Yeah. That being said, there are only certain albums that I will I won't get everything on vinyl, and I'd rather have a used vinyl album from a, a swap meet because most of my records are used because that feeling in them. It's like my guitars are used. Yeah. You know, there, there's something. There's a life to it. Yes, and, yeah. and and then just certain albums, 
like nowadays, I can't think of, there's very few bands nowadays I would even get a new album from. Most of it's <laughs> 70s, 80s. I got this great, uh, I just got Stevie Wonder, and then I got um, this great Marvin Gaye um, double album from Motown in the early years. Vinyl, yeah, yeah. it's so, so good, you yeah. know. It's warm. Music, you know. Warm. Yeah, warm. It, I mean, it just sounds good. Uh, when we recorded When Regular's King, I actually purposely put live, it's it's live drums, bass, guitar, everything's live. In fact, the one track, I Shot the Sheriff, we recorded that live. We actually recorded it live. And then... That, that explains it, because the album feels so light. Like, it feels like I'm at a party. It feels like so upbeat. But it feels with the songs, it just, I, I don't know. It's good. It's, I mean... When I listen to music of youth, the, the, the first album youth of today, even the second album, which is more hopscotch together, but there's still some the stuff that we play. The guys we're playing, it's not sampled. It's yeah. played live. Whatever you hear on there, everything's been played in live. Now you can use samples. You know, I won't even. I, I don't even like using sampled brass now. My son plays trumpet, so he plays in the band beside me. So that's what I love yeah. as well. My son stands beside me on stage. And, you know, I can tell you the only, the only samples I like now, and I had, an artist was on recently. He, he played is acoustic, and then he'll do a looper. And okay, they'll do, do a loop live. It's not pre-recorded. They'll do the loop. Mm. They'll record it live, so the pressure's got to be insane. And then they yeah. play that part. So like they're literally editing and, and producing <laughs> yeah, yeah. live while they have an acoustic guitar. That well, that I'm okay with that because it's so real. Yeah, yeah, because that's technology, you know. You look at um, power of good, not evil. <laughs> yeah, you look at um, Ed Sheeran. Ed goes out and does his thing because that's what Ed does. And people kind of don't get it. They don't get it. He doesn't need all the paraphernalia. He can do all these loops because that's what he did when he was busking. Yeah. So for him, it's just a bigger, bigger busking gig, you know. But it never detracts from you. Still got to have the songs. You've still got to have the songs. It, is. it doesn't hurt what? that you have your, your, your song. It's the first song in the album. On, yeah. of, uh, when we're kings, your, your big song. Because uh, <laughs> it's so fun. You cannot have it. We did. We I love, I lo- I, well, it sounds good. Though. I love I love you say, this generation, that is the best beginning part of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, because, I mean, it took me a long, it took me a long time, Sean, to work out how we can loop this, how we can use that part rather than me singing it. We sampled it just said right that's what we use for the live gig that's what we use so it's just you know it's It's such a time piece that that voice that that vocal brings you right back to the moment where you first heard that song i can tell you i i I, I was a single mom i was living in a very (laughs) poor area very very poor area and um, that was our thing you guys were a jam one of the bands i mean and that brings me right back to that moment yeah. Well, I did. You say that I did some shows. A lot of people don't know this, but we, I did some shows in Slovenia, and I ended up touring with Chris, Christopher, Christopher Cross. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and we become good friends, and it's really funny because it's music. I always just look at it; it's just music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he used to Chris. Chris. Chris is a good, great guitarist. Great guitarist. He's a great musician. I was laughing. The first thing I thought of was that. Video wasn't very helpful to him, <laughs> no. right? And, no. and video, and, and right, but video launched you guys, and then you walked away from it. Yeah. 
So the dichotomy of the whole thing is that's where I was amused, not actually Christopher Cross, because I've heard he's a really good guy. And he's no, he Chris, talented. He's sad. And he was managed by Evin Azov, funny enough. But anyway, we were out in Slovenia and watching Chris, Chris would say to me, I can't do what you do. Because I'd get up, I'd pick up the mic and go, you know, react to the audience. And Chris would be like, no, I, I, that's too cool. But on the same hand, I'd be standing there watching him. And as he started with, once in your life, that was yep. it. It just dropped. Doesn't matter what language you're in. The people just got it. Just oh, like yeah. you said, with, with this generation, it's the same. And I'd never realized how impactful it was. Yeah, it's, it's, no. it's just as powerful to hear that, that thing. And I always say, like, a few phrases I hate and, and inspired me to this channel is like, the phrase one hit wonder i'm like one hit can you imagine having one thing you could these people interview have you ever done one thing that anyone anyone else knows about that's been good you get to do something you're so successful at and it's huge how awesome is that well, and it helps i mean that is like you know or, or they'll be like oh the band broke up i only like the original band that's like being like you get a divorce and you get remarried <laughs> and be like ah oh, you know what i only like your original marriage i can't be friends with you now <laughs> i like the original wife sorry I, you know you guys get to get back together we'll be fine you also say that, Sean. I had to think about at fifty-three. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna call myself Musical Youth. People go, hey, Musical Youth. Hey, you should change your name. But why? I can still be a youth. Who said I can't? I'm, I'm always gonna be a youth. I can't stop that now. That's life. That's what it is. If I go out there and somebody else is Musical Youth, they're gonna say it's a fake. <laughs> you know, I'll say when I first you laugh. I see you hit the same. Um, that's one of the first things I thought about. I was gonna ask you. Same problem boys to men had. Yeah. The name, you know, grew your name on some level. But then once you know them, like this one boys to men come on, they're saying, you're like, oh, I get it. It really is just a name. It's just a name. Youth. And, and he watched it. The more you talk to you, and the more I've, like, listen, what's this all once we were, you know, listen, uh, you know, we were kings. And I'm like, it's musical youth. It's just, it's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's an energy. It's, a, it's bigger it's than you. It's an older version. Yeah. It's just an older version. That's all it is. That's what we would have become, so to speak. Yep. That's what it would have become. We had no I mean, choice. All right. It's more like a reggae uh, revolution. It's more, 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 you know. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So. And I, I think the more people listen to you, the more they understand that it is musical youth for a reason, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there hasn't been another musical youth. No, but like I say, when you're like, in America especially, you know, the same hits to be like, oh, you know, especially the people that listen to radio that don't listen to you know, just the hits. They're like, oh, musical youth. I know that one song. You know the one and, and song. Be, and, and then they, then they, they're like, they're still called musical youth. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and they haven't heard from you. They don't know what you're doing. They're going to judge your entire life. Yeah. I'm a kid. Excuse me. I'm just tired. Do you want to have a sore throat? I said, um, I'm a kid. I, 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 one of my kids didn't know. And then the other one kind of like, I play a lot of 80s movies. So, yeah. so he can get, so he can get all my jokes, my, my dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. So I told him the song. He's like, yeah. I think I know it. I don't know it. I'm like, you're not allowed to talk to me <laughs> until you hear that song. <laughs> go play it. I need advice. He comes in my room. I'm like, did you hear the song yet? No. Don't talk to me. You're not allowed to talk to me. You, well, you, song, his, you hear it on Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. On <laughs> the wedding singer. Yep. I'm a wedding singer. It's, yeah. it's huge. It's, 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 it's... Listen, like I said, Sean, I get humbled because I was out doing a show with Snoop. Um, Great American Smokeout Festival two years ago and Snoop was like yeah man that was the jam and then um, 
a DJ backstage. He was a big DJ on the West Coast. He introduced me to his whole family and he said, this is seated is from musical youth and they had a hit with this and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I was looking at him thinking, oh my gosh. I was surprised. Surprised. And I, and I think it, it doesn't show like who you are and like your voice. You think of one thing. But I mean, we, this album, you really sing. It's a lot different, yeah. you know. Thank you. It's really good. And, then, and I think that was the difference with, with the other year. You, you only did one solo album, right? I did it's hard one. to track it down. Yeah, well, yeah, because the label that I signed to went bust. Bro, I tried, I tried to dig, I tried to dig a little bit. I, I like to do a little bit more research. I, I tell you, I go, I go deep. <laughs> <laughs> and and I listened to all the tracks, and I was like, oh, that's so they're, they're so different." And and I didn't want to be like, "I don't want to be like a jerk." Like I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to tell you <laughs> that your music no. is like, well, it's not that it was bad. It just it just it sounded very '80s in some of the songs. I'm like, he sings but, good. Yeah. You you sing good, but that's not the yeah, point but, of the song, though. Thank you, but that's where I was at then trying to right. find a way it could have been hits because it was, it was very what was popular at the time yes what, what made you you was the songs the, the stylings you did in the other band and the song you with stevie wonder even mm. though you wrote that's who you were so you trying to be somebody else was awful it's like you being like a be like in a suit that's too tight or something it just didn't look that's right, right. You know? i mean what i needed to understand was look my genre is reggae do reggae but I was trying to not do reggae because in respect to the band, so to speak. Right, but I, I think you love reggae. I think if I think if you loved that songs, it would have shown yeah. differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you would have stuck I'm, with it, you would have crafted it more. But then if you love I, something, you love it. I wrote a lot of the songs on that album, so you know, I was showing yeah, my pro- writing skills. Yeah, but the production, you know how that goes in songwriting, how they put it together. Mm. You come up with one sound, and you know a lot of it's the producer, especially back then. You know, yeah, yeah. Read, read yeah. like Ted Templeman's book or, or all those. You know, mm-hmm. that's a good read too. Uh, Ted Templeman's book. Um, the, the producer shaped everything. You yes, know? Yeah. but I was helping with the production. Oh yeah, yeah. Really, you have control of that too. That's very cool. Yeah, I chose cool. who. You know, I've got a guy on that album, on that solo album. Um. There's a violinist called Al Shankar, and he he did the music for The Last Temptation of Christ, and uh, he played on my album. So, very that's very cool. So you know, it's it's there, it's out there. I think the music was you know it sounded like pop music with your voice on it. Yes, I think that's what how I'm trying to say it because I'm not saying it properly. It just, I yeah, it just just wasn't. But as I said, I listen to it now and I go, mm, maybe, maybe I should take the songs and give them to somebody else to record, see how they get on with it. Or you should make them reggae. That's what I should Because they weren't bad songs. It wasn't bad songs. It didn't sound bad. And all those actually could have been hits back then. Well, it doesn't sound like, because I, what I did is I listened to the Musical Youth and then I listened to that. And then and around the same time, I was listening to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So it clearly, like a source of something, it just stuck out. So that is a huge difference, you know what I mean? So that's why I'm coming at it from that angle, not like over the years getting used to it. I'm like, I sat down and put them all together on a big buffet, you know? I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Those are good, good things, though. Oh, man. I, I, was I, having, thank you. I was having that discussion, funny enough, last month with my keyboard player. He said, I, oh, played, yeah? him, I played him that album, and he's going, man, we could go back and do these as reggae. So he'll just confirm yeah. what he said. <laughs> I think yeah. I also think for your, for your, for your book, 
I like when I and, and just my whole opinion. I read a lot of books, a lot of biographies. Is, is I like when it's in your voice, and it's like maybe say you may, may have like a narrator, but then it's like in your voice, and so it's you. Yeah. And then maybe you could have someone else writing in their town. It's nice to have that person's voice, not like co-written with somebody. If they have you a co-writer, actually write write the, write the facts of it. The book, you yeah. know what I'm saying? You say that when I listen to the because uh, I drive a lot and I listen to the books. Mariah Carey, she she narrated hers, and then Melanie B. She found an act actress because she's dyslexic, so she couldn't. She comes in at the beginning. She says, "I'm dyslexic," so we searched for somebody who sounded like me who could put it off, and you get the idea. I get the yeah. idea. These are audio books, so you know it's like Kevin Hart does. He's, he's he narrates his books. That makes sense because yeah. nobody else could put the story across better than him. You know, so it's given me ideas. That's for sure, sure. I do, I do think the, I, yeah, it has to have your stamp on it. I mean, you obviously have co-writers, like you said, you co-produced and you do that. Mm. But it's got to be you. The book's got to be yeah. you, not just you trying to sound like a book that's out now. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's got to be the Dennis, you know, musical youth story. Of, yeah. like, literally, what I just talked to you. I can't believe the stuff I've heard. Like, it was just such a fun discussion with you tonight, man. This has been so much fun. Yeah. You know? It's like a gift. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, no it, it's been great. And there's so much great information out there that people just don't know. You know, hopefully. Yeah. This will get some 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 um, views and get out there as it grows. But you got a story to tell. Nice one, thank you very much. You got more song, and you got more stories to make too. Because <laughs> let's, let's actually let's actually wrap on that. What what's the plans? Because we got COVID, so everyone's kind of locked down right now. Well, lockdown caused me not to be able to. We were supposed to be doing some shows. I was supposed to be doing some shows out in on the west coast. Um, lost lost eighties shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, that got cancelled, but I'm I'm on the shows next year now. Hopefully, if the tour's in August, I haven't been able to do, and I'm I'm, I'm actually going to start knocking some doors. The East Coast, because West Coast is all right, but I haven't been able to do any shows. Um, come around New England. England, you come around New England, you and I are going to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So I'm, I'm, actually, I'm in New England, so I'd I'd love to see you. I've actually put together. I've got a little pickup band out in on the West Coast. Yeah. And I'll take my keyboard playing. We go and do some shows. So that's hopefully the next few years I'll be doing shows, more shows on the American side, and eventually get the whole band out there. But because of the cost of the visas, mm-hmm. we're talking something like it's 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 twenty fourth. It costs us twenty four thousand dollars to bring the band out, and I've got to weigh that up against. The and tour. then people complain about a, a t shirt that costs forty dollars. You're like, dude, you know, that was just a, a last time I was at a show and someone was complaining about a $40 t-shirt. I'm like, do you know how much it costs to bring an eight-piece band, pay for a tour bus? They're like $1,500 a day. Like, do you know how much it costs to do this? And you're complaining about yeah. a t-shirt to help keep your favorite band going? See, I understand I'm like, that. I'm like, I'll take two of them. Yeah. I understand so, all I, that. I, I hear you. I think a pickup band is like a smart thing. For you. Them, 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 them shows that we did that kind of whetted my appetite more because the appreciation was there. I mean, I got the first show I did, uh, San Diego. I'm sure it was San Diego with the, with the, with the last 80s. Um, I come backstage and the, you know, Flock of Seagulls and all them guys yep. were clapping. And I'm like, whoa. Awesome. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but they're all musicians. I hate the fact that it feels like it's like a negative nostalgia tour. It's really good. I mean, I went to say... 
it's I saw B-52s in, in Berlin yeah, and OMD. I could not believe how OMD were just bouncing on stage. I wish I had the energy. They're way older than me. My, and the music is so mine, tight. Yeah, my a good friend of mine is their roadie. Okay, so yeah, I mean, they are just, and they're still cutting out songs. Their albums, I had to go back yeah. and some more of their stuff now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. they're insane. And I actually right. think some of these things are getting better. I saw The Alarm in a club recently. Once again, another mm-hmm. band of the average generation. Same mm-hmm. thing. Just rocking it out, man. It's, how can I say? You know, listen, we're a long time dead. So you might as well do as much as you can now. And you might as well enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. That's my philosophy. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. And, you know, when I tell people I'm, I'm going on the road to do shows and I only have to do 15 minutes a night, they look at me like, what? 15 minutes? No. Yeah, that's what I have to do, 15 minutes. And I get all the adulation, boom, boom. And I get paid. It's not about the money, though. If it was about the money, sometimes I wouldn't do it. It's never about the money. It's about doing it. If you do what you like, money doesn't suck. You're in the gig. <laughs> you know, it's only time for me. It's just time. You can't buy time. You can't hold time. But you can capture time in your recordings, which is what we do. Capture time in recordings. 